Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer Jim Dunnigan. Welcome, Jim. We're uh, sans Austin uh, today, but uh, thought we'd talk a little bit about what's happening with uh, some of our naval exploits uh not not so good exploits these are in our shipyards it seems the navy has forgotten how to build ships well what's happening well they've they've (laughs) they've lost track of building some kinds of new ships i mean there's good news and bad news the good news they've still been able to build nuclear submarines uh effectively uh and that that is because there's a different culture in the Navy when it comes to nuclear subs. Uh, partially the result of the uh, the two that were lost in the 60s because of poor quality control. So the Navy has maintained, that's one tradition that, that survived, they've maintained their uh, the mania, as it were, for quality control. I'll get into that later. A bigger problem with the failures has to do with the fact that the Navy has never recaptured the magic it had uh, you know, how should I put it, during World War II and for a couple of decades after that, where they could um, effectively design new warships and get them made. Uh, of course, they became more and more expensive, but that was a a, a, a uh, trend that was going on with all sorts of, you know, uh, uh, military weaponry. Uh, in fact, there was, <laughs> there was one uh, defense uh, uh, a guy named Augustine, who was actually the president of one of the, the, the major defense manufacturers. And he wrote scathingly on this trend, as it were. And he had what he called Augustine's Law. But anyway, uh, it, it was very prophetic. I mean, this was back in the 70s, I think. Uh, he said, at the right things are going, eventually we'll only be able to build one aircraft. Now, that was prophetic in, 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 in so far as we had to build a lot fewer B-2 uh, stealth bombers and uh, F-22 stealth fighters because they were simply too expensive. I mean, even Congress has its limits. They regard uh, defense uh, spending, uh, especially procurement, as a prime source of pork, you know, for getting jobs in their districts and getting reelected. Uh, that causes problems, but that's been going on forever, uh, long before the United States was even around. I mean, the oldest, some of the oldest historical records we've recovered, you know, the the uh, the hieroglyphic, you know, things in clay from Babylonian whatnot uh, complained about that. Ancient Chinese records, uh, you know, record the same problems. But with the Navy, they have a problem where they are literally uh, able to build fewer and fewer ships because they keep coming up with ideas that are too expensive. Uh, they find this out too late um, and simply can't be implemented. Uh, so the Navy intrinsically has a problem in designing uh, new types of ships. We saw that with the Sea Wolf. That was a nuclear submarine. Uh, there were debates in the Navy about you know whether we really needed this. Uh, it was a very ambitious design, but it was designed at the end of the Cold War. Nobody expected the Soviet Union to go poof in 1991 and uh, and eliminate the uh, you know the major uh, naval threat to the United States and NATO. Um, but then again, nobody 
foresaw the, uh, the 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 growth of the Chinese fleet. There was never a Chinese fleet before, but they never needed one. But now they're dependent upon imports of raw materials and exports of all sorts of manufactured goods to keep their economy going. So the you know the 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 fearsome uh, Russian fleet uh, of the Cold War era has now been replaced by an even more uh, dangerous. Uh, Chinese fleet, and of course, as we have demonstrated or explained in in uh, strategy page regularly, the Chinese <laughs> are building warships on a on a wartime basis. In other words, they're not going uh, headlong into developing new technology. They're basically plundering a lot from us. You see that in the news where they've a lot of their new warships seem strikingly like you know existing American models. Uh, and they do get a lot of stolen technology. But basically, they have one of the largest commercial shipbuilding uh, industries in the world. Uh, they compete with Japan and, and South Korea. And uh, they basically have plenty of skilled workers uh, to apply to um, – uh, to building warships, uh, I think we had. I think I put that out today. A piece on their uh, their aircraft carrier assembly line. They're literally building. They have built and are in the process of finishing it. A new shipyard for carriers, which can basically turn them out at a rate we haven't seen since the World War II, when we were turning out those Essex class carriers at such a rapid clip. Um, well, they're doing it with conventional and eventually nuclear uh, carriers. Uh, they haven't gotten to the submarine bit yet, uh, but they are developing missiles like their ballistic missiles that can hit a carrier at sea uh, and other types of missiles. So they are definitely a more dangerous, more lethal threat than the Russians ever were. Meanwhile, the Navy keeps stumbling around in the dark, especially when it comes to surface warships. Uh, we saw the disaster with the, the Zumwalt, the DDG-1000, which we can only afford three of. We were supposed to have like, you know, 32 of them. Um, and uh, the LCS, the, uh, the little total combat, you know, ship. Uh, <clears throat> what we are doing now is what we should have done long ago. Is as far as uh, the smaller size surface combatants, you know, the frigates and corvettes, uh, simply adapt um, uh, European designs, which have been very successful. Uh, for example, the last uh, two of the uh, last two uh, classes of uh, Coast Guard high sea ships, cutters, uh, were uh, basically used. Uh, European designs. Uh, one time, they only used the European design because an American design simply didn't work. I mean, it was flawed. And they had to basically drop the whole thing and they realized that, hey, you know, the Dutch have a ship we could adapt. And boom. Uh, our largest cutters are basically a copy of the a British class of high seas, you know, offshore patrol vessel uh, for their Coast Guard. And that's proven very successful. Um, but for the uh, destroyers and cruisers, which we are the only ones really building them, and our destroyers are really just somewhat larger, you know, destroyers with more weapons and what have you. Um, we are. Uh, we had to drop the uh, the, the Zumwalt because we simply couldn't build them. We couldn't make them work anyway. They had a lot of new tech, which was great on paper, <laughs> but never was made to work in practice. Um, we're only producing three of those 
Sounds familiar. Shades of the Sea Wolf. Um, and uh, we're going back to building more of the Burks, which are the last and probably best destroyer class we ever built, based upon incremental improvements uh, from uh, successful World War II designs. We had several uh, classes of destroyers in World War II, and after World War II, we picked the best features of each of them and developed the Spruance class, uh, and then the, followed by the Burks. And um, uh, we we probably will keep building them uh, for over a decade because the Navy still says, well, we'll come up with something better. But they have to change their culture uh, of, you know, developing uh, new designs and implementing them uh, before they attempt it. And I think the Navy is chastened about that. I mean, they, they've been basically beat up by their own flaws for so long that there is a sense of, you know, we may be go. We may be doing things wrong. Our approach may be flawed, and if they want to see, you know, how a uh, a successful uh, uh, design philosophy works, they should look no further than the uh, than the ballistic, the uh, nuclear subs, the ballistic missile subs, and the attack subs, the SSNs, uh, and that's where we have been a, a success. But even that is running into problems, which are not really the, you know, the uh, the fault of the Navy. It's a problem that the Russians also had after the Cold War ended. They basically stopped buying new ships. Boom, just like that. Uh, there were some designs which were basically mothballed, half completed, because there simply wasn't money to do it. Well, what the Russians ran into, and they're still suffering from, is they basically let go all their skilled workers, and they had a lot of them. These guys found work elsewhere, or they simply got old and they retired. Uh, and now they find there's a shortage of skilled manpower, which has been hurting them because they've had quality control problems worse than ours. Um, and uh, they and their problem is their uh, population is shrinking, especially the Slavic population, uh, which is the best educated where most of the uh, the skilled shipyard workers came from. The American problem is somewhat different. We have a, a, a we always had a, a low uh, uh, you know unemployment rate, and it's even lower now. And uh, the uh, the skilled workers from the uh, Cold War era and the ones recruited. Uh, in the 1990s, when we were still building ships, not as much as before, but we still had a fairly vigorous uh, warship construction program. But a lot of those workers, you know, hired in the 1990s, they're coming up for retirement. So we have, you know, we, we basically uh, encouraged a lot of the Cold War vets to hang on. But, I mean, these guys can only go for so long before they want to collect those nice pensions and go off to Florida or wherever. Um and uh, so at the same time, we're losing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, retiring workers. Uh, the Navy is building even more submarines. It's not just the, the Virginias, which they've been knocking out at the rate of about, you know, two a year uh, to replace the aging Los Angeles class, which are, you know, retiring at a rapid rate. Um, and they need about 66 of them. That's how many they plan on buying. But they keep... Uh, as they should, improving each batch. The batches come in, in groups of four or eight, you know, submarines. Uh, they find things that can be improved. New technology, te as, as we know in the, in the computer business, electronics, you know, uh, 
goes obsolete a lot faster than warships do. Um, and if you want to stay competitive, especially with the Chinese breathing down your neck, uh, you have to keep implementing these uh, these known uh, improvements and upgrades. Um, and uh, that has led to uh, some substantial changes. For example, the next batch, the uh, the Virginia 5, as it were, batch 5, um, uh, implements a, a, a radical change in the design, whereas they're adding more uh, launch tubes for cruise missiles. Now, this has proven very successful. We've used these uh, Virginia-class boats uh, in Syria, uh, uh, where they can fire a lot of uh, cruise missiles on short notice, and these things are accurate. They hit the target, and this and the submarine goes away. So we said, well, less, you know, more is better. So now they're going to have 40. The Patch 5 is going to have 40 of these launch tubes. Now, this raised a stink in the Navy, which is still probably not going to be unresolved because we know that if we're going to use them again in wartime, it's going to be against the Chinese. And, of course, the Chinese realize that. They take note of our uh, experience with our nuclear subs. And, uh, you know, if if you launch a bunch of these cruise missiles, even while the sub is submerged, you know, it comes up the periscope depth or, you know, close to the surface and launches it. That discloses the location of your nuclear sub. Now, if the Chinese keep improving their anti-submarine detection uh, technology, which they're doing, and they're especially doing it in South, South China Sea, where they're installing uh, a, a underwater uh, arrays of, uh, of passive sensors, which just listen for submarines. Um, this is like the SOSA system we had in the uh, in the North Atlantic and in the Pacific uh, during the Cold War. Um, this uh, basically makes our submarines even more vulnerable. And, of course, what the submarine captains are complaining about, they said, look, if we have to go in there close in to launch these cruise missiles, even though they have a range of a couple of uh, a thousand kilometers, um, the Chinese are going to detect that, and that sub's going to be basically in danger, and it's going to spend at least a few days evading the uh, the Chinese anti-submarine forces, uh, you know, the airborne ones, and the Chinese are building more <coughs> aircraft uh Maritime patrol aircraft like our, um, uh, like the new Poseidon, uh, that's going to basically take these guys out of out of action, as it were, effective action for at least a week. Uh, but that's neither here nor there because in the meantime, uh, that additional uh, cruise missile launch capability is a big plus for the submarines. It means they have a they have more things they can do uh, in times of. Uh, not so much war, but a lot of crises going on around the world. We still have North Korea and Iran to worry about. The um, But these subs are 30% larger than the previous Virginias, and that means even more work, more workers, uh, just at a time when there are fewer workers. So now the Navy is basically bringing its hands out. We have a piece coming up in the next week or two on that. Uh, but they have to decide, you know, what are they going to do? Because the uh, one of the uh, the two shipyards that builds nuclear subs, the one in New England, they're having particular problems with uh, recruiting skilled workers. It's less of a problem with the other yard down in Virginia. Um, and uh, there's no magic solution for that. 
So that's going to be you'll you'll see that in the news, uh, you know, by and by, as it becomes more of a a crisis, as it were. But the Navy's basic problem is uh, they still haven't demonstrated that they can uh, effectively uh, design and build uh, on time and on budget uh, new surface warships. Now, they've had some real problems with their carriers, right, Jim? Ah, that's another problem. Yes, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have overlooked that. Yeah, they they got themselves. They stepped on their own tail, as it were, uh, with the Ford class. Somebody, we've we've covered this regularly in Strategy Page. What it comes down to is they they have several innovative uh, changes in the Fords. One, they use the new uh, nuclear fueling system which doesn't require the uh, the warship to go in at least once during its lifetime and be out of uh, action for, you know, four or five years to be partially taken apart so a new so the nuclear reactors can be refueled. The new design basically allows a carrier to be built with a, a nuclear power plant that'll last 40 years. So that is a, is a big efficiency. But then they had this other great idea, which sounded great on paper, they all do, about the electromagnetic catapults, which again, on paper, were more efficient. Uh, They used electricity instead of steam. And everybody thought this was a great idea. The problem was, and this is the Navy's fault, uh, they didn't test it enough before they started installing it in a new carrier. And so now they have the Ford, which uh, has a major problem in that the, uh, the reliability of the uh, emails, as they call it, the electromagnetic, uh, you know, launch system, uh, is much less effective than the old steam catapult system. Uh, there was another problem, which is again a a, a management, you know, uh, classic, you know, screw up, where they have a new system of uh, hoist, you know, elevators for bringing uh, weapons up to the up to the deck, so they can basically, you know, get them on the the aircraft. Well, they they screwed up in designing those, and I mean this was just straight out incompetence. Um, and so the Ford not only can't launch aircraft as rapidly as the old uh, carriers, uh, but they can't even get the weapons up. Now that is not as huge a problem as you might think, because more and more uh, of these aircraft are using you know they're all using only smart bombs, as it were. So uh, you need to have far fewer bombs. But only, I think, two of, or three of the ele- 11 elevators is operating on the uh, on the Ford, the first ship. So that's one very flawed, you know, uh, uh, carrier. And a bunch of Fords are supposed to replace the retiring Nimitzes. So that's a major problem which is still being, you know, wrestled with. But again, the problem really goes back to the Navy. In the, in the submarine service, because they lost the Scorpion and the Thresher in the 60s because of poor quality control, and because the Navy, the submariners, are pretty insistent. They operate, you know, under very adverse conditions, in deep water, uh, you know, a, 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 a minor problem like a leak can be fatal for a submarine. In a big ship where this stuff happens, you know, you can fix it, you can tolerate it for a while. It cannot be tolerated uh, in a submarine. In other words, there, there's less tolerance for any uh, problems uh, with a nuclear submarine. So the nuclear submarine community and the officers in charge of that are all submarine officers for the most part. So they basically have 
have uh, have a dog in the fight, as it were. It's their own hides. They maybe have, you know, some of their children. Uh, you've even had you have women on the cruise now, um, and uh, so they have they have something invested in this, uh, and and they're basically trying to, uh, to they're they're seriously making serious and successful efforts to deal with the problems. But the carriers are a different story. You know, that's just a huge chunk of pork. Politicians said, yeah, we'll give you money for that. Uh, and if you come back and ask for more money for testing and say, well, do you really need that? You know, that doesn't give us a lot more jobs. That's just a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, boffins, you know, uh, playing with a, a small a bit of um, uh, technology and, and waste and turning up a lot of money, which isn't creating a lot of jobs to get me reelected. Uh, so you have that dynamic, you know, working at it as well. And uh, the Navy basically has a an opportunity here to do some fundamental changes. I mean, they have to learn the surface warfare and the carrier aviation uh, admirals have to basically learn how to talk back to the politicians. I mean, the submarine guys, they can still, 50 years later, invoke the loss of the, you know, the Thresher and the Scorpion uh, and get respect. Plus, our carrier, our submarine force has always been the premier force in terms of quality and capability in the Navy. I mean, the carriers do a lot of work. And all the other surface warships contribute, but the, the nuclear submarines are, you know, uh, alone as it were, and they do have a much better track record. Uh, but it's gotten so bad with the carriers now that, especially the carriers. I mean, there's only ten of them, and uh, and they're they're aging out really quickly. Um, and the Navy has really not come up with a uh, a good solution. The the emails is still the fix is still a work in progress, um, and the other quality control issues. They say, well, we're going to do something about it. I don't know. You know, you really, it's not like you can take some submarine officers over and put them in charge, because it's it's a really a different culture and it cannot be easily changed. Uh, so that's really a question of senior leadership in the Navy and in Congress. Uh, you know, basically facing up to the fact that there needs to be some fundamental changes in how these ships are designed and how they are tested and how they are built. Uh, one that's very similar to what's going on in the in the submarine field. But as we see with the submarine uh, in this, you know, the submarine segment uh, is they're they're building a lot of these boats. But again, there's limitations on the shipyard workers and this quality control problem with the, the skilled workers uh, is showing up in the surface warship uh, area as well. But of course, they can paper that over. I mean, that's basically what happened with the mistakes in the Ford. The designers and the and the people in, involved in testing and, and proofing this stuff before you start installing it uh, were simply incompetent. I mean, they basically, you know, blew it. Um, and uh, there's been no evidence yet that that has really changed. I mean, they're talking about a new frigate design. If they adopt a, a successful European design, uh, that's probably a good sign because it means, hey, all right, uh, I know not invented here is a is a sacred you know precept we must always follow. But slowly, the United States has, over the past few decades, realized that we're not the only ones who can design you know uh, effective uh, weapons, and we've been basically buying more and more uh, foreign stuff uh, simply because you know it's better than anything we could do. And if we try and outdo what the foreign designs do, we tend to screw it up. Uh, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it? You know, don't if it ain't broke, you know, don't try and fix it. Uh, and that's a hard habit to break. Uh, but that's what basically has to happen. So at the moment, 
uh, were trying to play catch up, not just with the Chinese, but with the uh, the the aging out of our existing warships. These warships have a finite life. You can you can basically patch some of them up and keep them going for a little while longer, but they take a heck of a beating at sea. One reason we have an effective Navy is we keep our ships at sea a lot. And that is a, a lesson that was learned hundred over hundreds of years that having a lot of ships is one thing, but having crews that are skilled in basically operating them in the high seas in all sorts of nasty weather and, actually operating the weapon systems and what have you, especially in, on carriers. That's something that basically uh, burns out the ships. Um, and once they reach a certain point, they have to retire because otherwise they're a hazard. They, they don't work so well. They're a hazard to the crews and they really don't do their job. Uh, so the clock is ticking. And uh, right now it's not uh, ticking in our favor. Uh, and at the same time, the Chinese basically are not really being held back by any uh, existing technology. They're building everything anew. And the Navy is the, uh, the how should I put it, uh, much admired by the Chinese public. They, they get a big kick out of their first carrier, uh, all these new warships. Uh, the, uh, the Chinese are now building the Type 55 destroyers, which are basically clones of the Burke, uh, in some ways improved. Now, the Chinese have a problem that they only like to discuss internally, but it, it leaks out, in that their military in general has a a long history of corruption, which still exists. And that corruption includes uh, generals and admirals papering over inefficiency, ineffectiveness. And of course, the Chinese haven't really been at war for a long, long time. Uh, and the Navy is trying to uh, overcome that by not just building these new ships, but as our Navy has noted, they're out there a lot. So their crews are finally getting that kind of experience. You can only get by having the ships at sea a lot uh, and using their weapons or using their equipment in general. Uh, and our Navy is constantly in, encountering these these more competent you know, Chinese ships and their more competent, more experienced crews. And they're, they're telling you know, Congress, look, you know, these guys are becoming a serious threat. And if it comes to a war, you know, you can't take for granted that we're it's going to be, you know, victory at sea, World War II style all over again. Uh, they are more of a threat than the Russians are. And there's plenty of concrete evidence for that. It's not just, you know, uh, the usual scare stories the, uh, the military uses to get more money out of Congress. Now... The Navy's doing a little bit better with their uh, replacing their aging F-18s, right, with the new F-35 uh, B and Cs. Yes. The now the F-35 was a come to Jesus moment, so to speak. Uh, that's where people realized that Mr. Augustine was right, <laughs> and there has to be a change made. Part of the problem was with Congress, where they they like to basically uh, do short orders, as it were. They don't like to have they don't like to allocate money for multi-year contracts. Now the multi-year contract is a lot more efficient, uh, and uh, with the with the with our new current government, they, they've got more people in there who are basically uh, more pragmatic about having an efficient uh, procurement program rather than just, you know, placating all the politicians. Um, and uh, this means that uh, they have literally gotten the price of the F-35 down. 
Now, the F-35 still has a lot of problems. That's revolutionary technology. Pilots who are using it um, are, are praising it. They said it's, it's, it's a marvelous advance over previous types of, uh, of warplanes. Uh, and they're demonstrating that by their governments turning around and ordering more F-35s. Uh, and, and so that that's that's going uh, gangbusters, but there are still problems. The because they're stealth aircraft, uh, they're they're more expensive and more time-consuming to maintain. Uh, like any new aircraft, there's a lot of new technology in there. Uh, it's basically an aircraft that uh, you basically don't just start; you boot it up. Literally, <laughs> you know, the pilot enters his his his, uh, his uh, name and his password, and off she goes. Uh, and uh, but once they're up and running, uh, they're a marvelous bit of technology. But the problem is, it's no good if you have a marvelous bit of technology, but you only have a handful of them. Now the Navy's planning on building, uh, you know, up to three thousand or more F thirty fives, if and when, and they probably will get the kinks worn out because there are new incentive programs for the manufacturer uh, to basically uh, reward them for coming in on time um, and up to, uh, you know, quality control and, and basically fixing their, 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 their flaws that they basically ignored, as it were, when they passed it on to the, uh, the aviation folks. Um, and that so far seems to be working. That is a, that is a, uh, a major step forward, one that should have been implemented long ago. But the Air Force, the Air Forces, the Navy and uh, uh, the Air Force itself, and of course the Army, which has a lot more aircraft uh, than the Navy, um, mostly in terms of helicopters, uh, they learn the hard way because we use them a lot, and uh, we find out what the flaws are real quick. Uh, of course, that creates another problem in that because of the the, uh, the war on terror, as it were, that was quite intense for about a decade, and it's still fairly hard on the aircraft. It wore out a lot of aircraft earlier than they normally would have because they simply were used more. Now, that's great for creating uh, pilots, uh, skilled pilots, but basically uh, you can replace the pilots more easily than you can the, uh, the worn-out aircraft. So, yeah. The F-35 and, of course, the F-18, the, the later model, the Super Hornet, as it were, the F-32, F-18F, F uh, E and F, um, they're performing well. But the Navy is still dragging its feet on the use of uh, UAVs on the carrier. Now, we've reported that for a decade now. The Navy did make huge progress in developing uh, carrier-borne uh, UAVs, we've successfully shown that the, the UAV can uh, land, take off and land uh, on its own, as it were. Uh, a lot of that technology has been moved over. Well, first it went from existing technology in manned aircraft, which made landing on carriers safer and easier, as it were. Um, but now the requirement to make it even more effective for a fully autonomous landing, you know, every time, um, has also been transferred to the, uh, to the manned aviation. So that saves lives, it saves times, it saves aircraft, etc. cetera. Um, but the Navy has been hesitant to go uh, full bore, as it were, uh, in replacing a lot of their carrier, manned carrier-borne aircraft with unmanned uh, carrier-borne aircraft. There's another problem which... 
again, we're working on another piece for a strategy page on this, about the software, the network software a lot of these aircraft use. Uh, the Chinese, I assume is the Chinese, are making uh, enormous efforts to, to hack our uh, aviation and naval systems, you know, for the ships as well as for the aircraft. Uh, that is a serious vulnerability, uh, and that remains to be seen. Now, of course, that works both ways. We have demonstrated in the past, and we don't talk about it much, that we're able to hack enemy uh, military uh, networks. Uh, the Israelis are very good at this. Again, the Israelis are a tremendous resource for us because the Israelis are always under attack. And, of course, they have Syria as a, as, a, as, a, as a testing zone, as it were, where they've been using the F-35, which they've modified. It's the F-35I. Uh, and they, bas we, they basically twisted our arm to allow them more access to the F-35 software than we allowed anybody else. Uh, of course, that is because you can trust the Israelis because they are at war. They're constantly at war. And their security is pretty good. Actually, it's probably better than ours in terms of protecting military secrets. So we are dependent on the Israelis for helping us out uh, with a lot of this uh, hacker proofing of aircraft. But everybody will be vulnerable to that because even the Chinese in their most modern jet fighters, they still have a lot of older stuff, but they are converting rapidly. Uh, they will be vulnerable as well. So that cuts both ways. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we have problems with uh, just supervising the uh, design and construction of these new systems, a problem that is unique to the United States because we're the leader in these areas. Chinese will run across it eventually. They have run across it in trying to build uh, effective SSNs and SSBNs, something they have not been able to do yet. Uh, that, that ticks them off big time. Uh, but again, it's a matter of experience. Uh, and basically build something you can't really steal. I mean, just the, just the skilled workers are something you develop locally. It's not something you can export. Uh, you basically have to get people, uh, screen people, get people who are, have the potential, get them into the jobs, get them through their apprenticeship can last a year or more, uh, and then, and, and manage them. Uh, we've had problems with management in the, uh, in the, in uh, in the uh, military pr uh, procurement area, that's another sore point, which a lot of the defense uh, manufacturing firms don't let really take us seriously as it should. Uh, and it's up to the military to basically put them under the spotlight, to basically uh, demonstrate particular areas, particular instances. Again, the submarine community has always been much more uh, quick to do that, they will criticize. They will they will name names, uh, and uh, and the, the surface navy really has to adapt a lot of those practices uh, because it's the only way they're going to get out in this high tech world. You know, you, you could get away with being a little sloppy. You know, during World War II, where you didn't have all this the technology problems. A ship was a ship, and a lot of these ships during World War II weren't expected to last much long after World War II, and a lot of them didn't. A lot of them were retired. Uh, and uh, we figured, you know, the uh, the war was over, but then the Cold War started, and we said, whoops, back again. Uh, but we had that enormous reservoir of skilled managers and workers uh, to draw upon, and we kept that 
that pool of, of management and labor expertise going. But now we're running into a real problem uh, with the uh, after the Cold War, where we've had this dearth, a lot of uh, reduced production, uh, fuel workers, and now a lot of them are retiring. That's something that happens. But now it's happened. You know, it's doubly bad right now in the shipbuilding industry in general, particularly in the submarine building area. Um, and uh, you know, the Navy has to basically deal with multiple problems at once if they want to continue to uh, maintain their qualitative edge in naval warfare. And that's, that's, that's it. You know, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the decisive battles in future wars are fought during peacetime. And this is a classic example of that. Well, we'll have to keep our eye on the Navy and see what happens over the, the next little while. I'm sure we'll be reporting on it more. Indeed Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye.